Mark and Laura Lee are away this weekend. Mark actually did the wedding for Tim and uh, Tim Whalen and Molly Loftus last night. So a wonderful young couple. Some of you know them. And uh, that, that was last night. So uh, he, he uh, performed that wedding. And uh, today, I'd like to uh, spend a little time on our relationship with money. We don't talk about money much here in this church. In fact, if, uh, I know that churches are often criticized for wanting, wanting to get your money. We probably err on the other side here. We, we never talk about it. In fact, it's kind of a joke that we never talk about the fact that we have offering boxes in the back. And, uh, but God has just uh, supplied our needs uh, along the way. Uh, at every point, there's no, no big windfall for anybody, but uh, certainly uh, we've always had what we need. And uh, when, when, we, when things look tight, we just ask God for it, and he provides. And he does that through you in many cases. Uh, but we're going to talk about what is God's philosophy with regard to the way we manage our money uh, today. And I, I had an interesting uh, experience the other day. I was driving on Marsh Road near in, in Okemos, and I, I saw a Lexus up ahead of me, a Lexus SUV, a real nice one, up ahead of me. And you know how people like to send a message to the world with their license plate, personalized plate. There was one word on the back of this Lexus that communicated everything that, that uh, the, the owner wanted the rest of us to know uh, about what they valued. And that word was wealthy. W- wealthy. Uh, that's what they had on the, on the back of their Lexus. And, and I thought, well, that's interesting that that, uh, that summarizes what is a high value in, in their life. But they're not alone, are they? In fact, our, our American culture celebrates the acquisition of stuff, of possessions and, and money, as if we're in some kind of contest with each other. And advertisers seem intent not just on, on uh, educating us about our needs, but creating needs we didn't know we had in, in some cases for possessions uh, that they would like us to buy. And the mantra of our culture seems to be the one who has the most toys when he dies wins. And that's, uh, that's carried out or it's uh, confirmed in a, in a Wikipedia poll that I ran across recently too. Americans' top 10 goals. Here they are. First of all, lose weight. Get rich quick. Get a job you enjoy. Travel. Win the lottery. That's timely, isn't it? <laughs> Buy a brand new car. Learn to pray, play a musical instrument well. Own your own home. Be debt free. Get back in shape. Get an education. Lose more weight. <laughs> now that's not a bad list. I mean, there there isn't anything evil on that list. Uh, but what I'm going to suggest to you is that at least seven of those things require uh, accumulating money, or or they are there are things to uh, be purchased with money, things to be acquired with money experiences or possessions. And, and it seems that more and more we equate happiness, our culture equates happiness and satisfaction in life with what we possess, the abundance of things that we possess. And uh, Jesus' perspective was just the opposite. You know, notice how Jesus often turned the, the conventional wisdom on its head, and he did that in this case as well. He says in, in uh, Luke 12, Then he said to them, that is his disciples, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. There you go. And he told them this parable, The ground of a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, 
what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Here's Jesus' word to us. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. You see, Jesus' perspective was that our focus should be not here but in heaven and that our focus should not be on riches here but riches in heaven. You see how he turned the, the world's wisdom on its head? God's perspective on money and possessions, what does that look like? Well, there are over 800 scripture passages that have to do with God's perspective on money and and how we deal with it. Randy Alcorn in, in the book Managing God's Money says this, Why did Jesus say more about how we are to view and handle money and possessions than about any other topic, including both heaven and hell, prayer and faith? Because God wants us to recognize the This is important. He wants us to recognize the powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. You see, our our relationship with money is so important, folks, because it has the capacity to displace our life with God. It has the capacity to displace our life with God. Jesus spoke specifically of the deceitfulness of riches in, in the parable of the sower in, in Mark 4. And, and he compared our hearts, if you recall that parable, he compared our hearts there to various kinds of soil. And, uh, and, he, and he said the word of God was the seed that went into those various kinds of soil and uh, it produced a crop, it produced a result depending on the kind of soil. Well, he describes here the, the thorny soil in Mark 4.19. He describes three things that will keep us from God and what he wants to accomplish in our lives. Three things that that will derail our life with God. First of all, the the worries of this life. Secondly, the deceitfulness of, of wealth. And thirdly, the desires for other things. He says they come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. In other words, it has no effect in our lives. It has no effect in transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ the fruit that happens within us, the love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, self-control. And, and uh, it also uh, makes us ineffective in terms of what God wants to accomplish through our lives. That is, the fruit that he wants to produce in the lives of other people through us. And money can have that effect on us. They can neutralize us in terms of our spiritual growth. Riches are called deceitful because they lead us to become self-sufficient. That is, that we don't need God anymore. Um, Beth Moore said it well in uh, one of her studies. She said this, Satan's plan is to use our own affluence to, to distract us from sacrificial living and cause us to miss, Satan, uh, miss God's unique calling on our lives. Satan's plan is to use our own affluence to distract us from sacrificial living and cause us to miss God's unique calling on our lives. There was a, a 2012 Boston Globe article that I ran in, into while I was uh, researching for this message. And, and uh, they researched how money changes people. When people come into a large amount of money, 
how it changes people. It's a secular study. It's not a Christian study. This is, is what they found. They found that there were changes in who the person was, how they saw themselves, how they think, and how they behave. They said that the, the people became less empathetic toward other people, less compassion, less generosity, uh, less likely to help someone who is in trouble, uh, more likely to uh, defend uh, economic unfairness. And, and obviously those are generalizations. We all know Christians, on the other hand, who are wealthy and at the same time who God has gifted with generosity. And they, they, they know those resources are to give away and they do that. And, and so this is a generalization. But those are some of the kinds of things that, uh, that money can, can do in our lives. Well, Jesus uh, spoke definitively about how we should view money and how we should handle it in the parable of the talents. We're going to look at that now. That's the primary passage that I'd like to refer to today. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. That's the parable of the talents. Beginning at verse 14 of Matthew 25. I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version, and uh, that's what will be on the screen as well. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. This was commonplace in Jesus' time. A master, a wealthy master, would call his servants together and those he trusted he would entrust with a unit of wealth for, him to, in, for them to invest while he was gone. And, and it could be a long journey. To, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with, bank, with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, will, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. This was one of a collection of parables that Jesus used to describe the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven was like. And, and, and uh, a talent in that time was a unit of wealth. And actually it was equivalent to about 20 years of a servant's wages. So it was a significant amount of money that this master dispersed to his servants to, to invest for them. But a, a talent in this parable, for our purposes, symbolizes much more than money. It is everything that God has given us in terms of our uh, abilities, 
our own personal talents, the way he's gifted us, the, the position he's put us in, in, in life. We've been born into America, for one thing. That is a huge, huge blessing compared to uh, some folks in other parts of the world. Uh, the family that we've been born into, the, um, the other thing, and as well as our financial resources, all of that goes into, goes into talents here. As for our purposes in interpreting this parable and its application to us. I think there are six principles that I want to draw out with regard to our relationship with money. First of all, uh, we've got to get the ownership thing straight. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. You, me, everything we have, everything on earth and the earth itself belongs to God. God's quite clear about that. Psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, whether they realize it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, God owns them all. And, and for us, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. That is, Christians are, are doubly gods, if you will. We're owned twice, because God not only owned us because he created us, he owned us because he bought us back. He redeemed us uh, from sin and death and, and uh, hell. So God even owns us. And he owns our talents and abilities. He, he gave them to us. Sometimes we think, well, I, I did this or I did that. I was talking with Sue Bustamani between, on the break. She says, yeah, I think sometimes that I did that. And then I, I realized that, no, that was God. God did that. Uh, God even owns our talents and abilities, including the ability to create wealth. This is kind of an obscure passage. Uh, but I, I, uh, I pray it for my businessmen friends sometimes. Um, Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to create wealth. If you're in business, you're trying to get your business going, are you claiming his promise from God? He's the one who gives you that ability to, cre to create wealth. Principle number two is we are not owners but managers. We are not owners but managers or, or stewards of what God has given us. We don't own it. And, and so uh, that means we treat it a little bit differently, uh, don't we? When you, when you own a possession, you, you, uh, you, you treat it differently perhaps than you do if you borrow something from somebody else. When I borrow something valuable from somebody else, I take better care of it. I don't know about you because I don't want to damage it and bring it back to them uh, damaged. The master in this parable did not hand over ownership of the talents, just the responsibility for investing them, right? Number three, he's distributed his resources to us according to our ability. I don't know if you noticed that in that parable before. But one got five talents, one got two talents, one got one talent. And, and those were distributed according to the ability of each servant. Have you noticed we're not all the same? We, we aren't all gifted in the same way or talented in the same way. We don't all have the same level of financial resources uh, that uh, the other person does. That, that's by design. God gives us different abilities and, and levels of financial resources uh, for the purposes that he has to accomplish uh, in our lives. Uh, God has specific purposes that, that he desires for us to do and uh, to advance the kingdom, and he has gifted, and, gifted us in, in that way to accomplish those things. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That is our purpose, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has works, uh, God has purposes and good works that that he has prepared in advance that he wants you to do, uh, not only in your life, in the life of your family, but the life of people around you that he's called you to do. It's, in, it's important that we find out what those are and that we do those things. 
what are the good works that God has prepared you to do? And, and some of those things are the things we think of right off the bat, like, well, yeah, we need to be witnessing to other people. We need to tell other people about the hope that, that is within us. Uh, we need to lead people to Christ. Well, that's true. That, 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 that's all true. Those are givens. But there are also some good works that God calls you to do right where you are uh, that don't entail going to another foreign country as a missionary necessarily. One of the good works that God calls you to do, I'd suggest, is being a godly parent. Uh, one, of the, one, of the things that, one of the good works that God calls you to do, perhaps, is, is being a godly workman in your workplace. Uh, and and uh, having, having your work and your life be, be a testimony for Christ in that, in that workplace. Uh, perhaps uh, there is a person that God will put in your life who has a financial need, and you can help that person. Uh, that is one of the good works we're talking about here. Sometimes, folks, sometimes it is just this, that God puts on our heart somebody that we need to pray for in our church, in our workplace. Uh, I get together on Thursday night. We, we pray for a lot of people that are in various workplaces, uh, that are in trouble or that, that need uh, Christ. And sometimes that is that good work that he calls you to. And when you do that, that is treasure in heaven. You're storing up treasure in heaven. We'll give account to God as to how we have invested both our lives and our possessions. Mark made a point of this in, in Ephesians the other, the other week. He used uh, Romans 14, 12. For e- so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And again in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether, whether good or evil. Let's get something straight. This is not about salvation. If indeed, this is the point that Mark made the other night, if, if indeed uh, you are a child of God, if you recognized at some point in life that you couldn't please God on your own, you recognize that uh, Jesus died and gave his life as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. You accepted that sacrifice, received Christ as your Savior, and, and you said, come into my life and be not only my Savior, but Lord of my life. Uh, then you're a child of God. And, and uh, Romans 8.1 tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So you're declared not guilty once and for all. This is about rewards. God says re- rewards won't all be the same. For everybody in heaven. There's a differential. And, and he says, what you do in this life matters. The decisions and the actions we take in this life matter for eternity. The focus will be, did you put me first in your life with your time, your talents, your treasure? Did you allow me to be not only the Savior, but also the Lord over every area of your life? Including your finances. Because the money's not yours. God says in, in uh, the book of Haggai, the silver and the gold are mine. The silver and the gold are mine. He gives them to us to use for his purposes. Um, you can tell what a man, there, there's an old truism that you can tell what a person thinks is important by looking in two places. What are those places? Checkbook, there's one. What's the other one? A calendar. A calendar, exactly, an appointment book. Uh, our time, where we spend our time and where we spend our money uh, tells a lot about what our priorities are, uh, aren't there? Uh, uh, doesn't it? it? It's a reality check. Let me suggest this to you, folks, that if you and I have no time, for example, to spend in the Word of God and prayer on a daily basis, even just a few minutes, and, and, and we have time, however, to golf four times a week, or we have time to spend hours in front of the television, or we become workaholics with our 
our career, then we've made idols out of uh, entertainment and golf and uh, career or fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, whatever the temptation is for you. An idol is anything we put in the place of God. Uh, we are not putting God in first place in, in our lives, if that is the case. In the same way, if we spend all the money that God has given us on ourselves, instead of investing it for the advancement of his kingdom, we can't say that we're putting God in first place. We're stewards, not owners. If we're so preoccupied with our own work and our recreational activities that we have no time for the use of our talents and our abilities to serve in ministry someplace, then we're not putting him first. You see, we'll, we'll receive a reward based on how well we have invested what God has given us to use. You know, with our, uh, many of you have uh, 401k or retirement plans, 403bs, all those good numbers. Uh, and when you meet initially with your planner to, to put those things together, they, they encourage you to take the long view, don't they? They say, you've got to think at least 30 years ahead, right? Well, what I'm suggesting is, no, we, we need to think at least 30 million years ahead. Uh, because, you see, we're going to be spending a long time in, in eternity. It is forever. This life is a blip. It, it is a momentary blip on the long timeline of eternity. Uh, James says uh, in one of the songs we sang that our life is a vapor. It's here again and, and it's gone. It goes by so quickly. And uh, I think it goes faster the, the older we, we get. But the decisions we make in this life uh, matter for eternity. That's why the, the master said in, uh, in this parable, his master said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't know if you noticed that before, but he said, I will set you over much. What he's talking about and what the scripture alludes to again and again is the responsibility that you and I will have in heaven. We'll have different roles in heaven. The, the, the uh, decisions we make now and how we invest the resources that God has given to us now, not just financial, but our lives, uh, will make a difference in terms of eternity as to the responsibility that God will give us there. Uh, and, and the master here said it. Uh, you've done well with what I gave you, so I'll set you over much more. I'll give you much more responsibility. And, and the same thing will be true with us. The decisions we make in this life matter for eternity. So if you and I have not been faithful with what God has given us thus far, how can we expect him to trust us with more? Well, Jesus had the solution. He said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Jesus, talked, Jesus was the original uh, person who talked about paying it forward. He said uh, that we can send it on ahead and we can lay up treasure in heaven. John D. Rockefeller was one of the richest guys who ever lived. And when he died, uh, someone asked his accountant, how much did John D. leave anyway? His accountant's reply was classic. He said, all of it. You see, you, you don't take any of it with you. Have you ever seen a, a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse? No, it just doesn't happen. You, you don't take possessions with you. And that's what scripture tells us too. The psalmist says, don't be dismayed when the wicked grow rich and their homes become ever more splendid. For when they die, they take nothing with them. Their wealth will not follow them into the grave. But Jesus had the solution. He said, send it on ahead. He says in Matthew 6, 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He said, don't worry about that. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus said, act in your own self-interest. Lay up that treasure in heaven. Send it on ahead. Well, why should we give? And we're talking about financial resources now. Why should we give? Well, first of all, in obedience to the Great Commission, Christ's last great command to us. He said in Matthew 28, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you re do you recognize that we as an American church have the resources and the capability to see the Great Commission fulfilled, that is, to reach every tribe and every nation in our lifetimes? We could do that um, if, if, if we commit to that. Our, our New Hope uh, missionaries and, and ministries uh, that we fund uh, by giving are, are included on that insert that, that I've given you in your program today. Uh, Rick and Sharon Bruce, for example, are in Thailand right now. They're in a remote village. They spent a couple years in language study. They have committed their lives to sharing the gospel with a tribe that doesn't know Jesus. And uh, there's much more of that that needs to be done. Not all of us will go. Some of us will. Not all of us will go. But uh, we all need to provide the resources that will allow them to go. And, and our other missionaries as, as well in there. Second reason why we should give uh, to keep our heart where it belongs. God doesn't need our money. I hope that's not a newsflash. God doesn't need our money. Uh, he asks us to give not for him but for us. He, he, knows, he knows we need to give. Jesus says what we treasure indicates where our heart really is. And so my question is, are we putting God first? He says this, sell your possessions, give to the needy, Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So here's a key principle with regard to the way we, we relate to money and that is our heart is drawn to wherever our treasure is. That's where our heart will follow. Richard Stearns is the uh, president of World Vision USA. Neat guy, wrote the book The Hole in Our Gospel and, uh, and Unfinished is the most recent book he wrote about uh, how we relate to money and, our, uh, and, carrying, and carrying out our, our mission to the world as, as believers in Jesus Christ. In 1987, he was the uh, CEO of Lenox, a big China company, um, multi-million dollar company. And he said, this is his story, in 1987, the largest single-day stock market crash since 1929 took place. In one day, my wife and I, Renee, lost more than one-third of our life savings and the money we had put aside for our kids' college education. I was horrified, became like a man obsessed, each night working past midnight, analyzing spreadsheets, all that we'd lost, and so on. He said, I was consumed with anguish over our lost money, and it showed. One night when I was burning the midnight oil, Renee came and sat beside me. Our wives do this for us. They give us back perspective, guys. She said, honey, 
This thing is consuming you in an unhealthy way. It's only money. We have our marriage, our health, our friends, our children, and a good income. So much to be thankful for. You need to let go of this and trust God. And then she suggested we pray about it. Something that hadn't occurred to me. So we did. At the end of the prayer, to my bewilderment, Renee said, Now I think we need to get out the checkbook and write some big checks to our church and ministries we support. We need to show God that we know this is his money and not ours. I was flabbergasted at the audacity of this suggestion. But in my heart, I knew she was right. See, see, we want to hang on to it, don't we? Times get tough, we want to hang on to it as if it's ours. He says, I was flabbergasted at the audacity, but I knew she was right. So that night, we wrote some sizable checks, put them in envelopes addressed to various ministries, and sealed them. He said, that's when, that's when I felt the wave of relief. We had broken the spell that money had cast over me. It freed me from the worries that had consumed me. I actually felt reckless and giddy. God, please catch us, because we've just taken a crazy leap of faith. You see? Giving is the vaccine that protects us from the disease of self-sufficiency. That's why Jesus said to give. We also give to to demonstrate our reliance on God and and avoid that disease of self-sufficiency. Paul tells us in Timothy uh, some of the things that can happen to us when we love money. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root, the love of money, not money itself, right? Money is not evil. But the love of money, our attitude toward money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Giving is the vaccine that protects us against that deadly disease of self-sufficiency. And giving is the acid test of whether God is really Lord of our lives in that area of our lives. You know, uh, we're all familiar with stories of people who uh, suddenly came by a lot of money and and didn't end well. And in fact, I, I ran across an article in the Business Insider. We're all intrigued by stories about people who suddenly won a great deal of money in the lottery. Well... Uh, The Business Insider article here from a couple years ago looks at 10 lottery winners who lost it all. And they they won amounts between uh, 1.9 million and uh, 57 million was the high. And these these 10 folks, this is how they they ended. Uh, The first one was killed by relatives for his money. The second one was arrested and lost his money. The, the third one inherited $5.4 million. She's now broke and living in a trailer park. Uh, the fifth one uh, is now a convicted se- sex offender and uh, in prison. Uh, another one who had inherited who, or who won uh, $16.2 million is now $1 million in debt and lives on food stamps. Uh, an- another is divorced, lost kids, is a crack addict, and broke. One divorced his wife and she took half. Sounds fair to me. <laughs> in, uh, one is in, in debt and lost everything. Uh, one spent it all and is now working at McDonald's to make a living. Uh, one spent it all. And here's the saddest one in, in my mind. Here, uh, a fellow from Texas named uh, Billy Bob Harrell 
was a Pentecostal preacher down in, uh, in Texas, uh, inherited 30, or won 31 million in a, in a lottery, spent it all, divorced his wife, and committed suicide. Isn't that sad? Uh, what, what a sad end uh, to a life that obviously at, at one time God has, had, his, had his hand on his life. That's what can happen. Now, not all, all lottery winners uh, uh, wind up that way. Just in the past couple of days, there was an article maybe you saw on, on TV about an older couple who won, I don't know how many millions they won, but they said, we're going to give it all away. It's too much hassle. We don't want anything to do with it. So they gave it all away. And, uh, and some, other, some of the research indicates that that is the best antidote against what can happen is, is giving a large amount of it away. But Jesus told us uh, how, to, how to pay it forward. And the fourth reason is to put us in the way of the Holy Spirit. Giving, folks, is a spiritual discipline. We've talked before about spiritual disciplines being uh, scripture, time and prayer, uh, worship, solitude, silence, fasting, those kinds of things, those activities that we can do that don't earn us any merit, but they put us in the way of the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can bless us and change us as, as he does. Well, giving is, is one of those things. It's a spiritual discipline that puts us in the way of the Holy Spirit so he can further transform us into the image of Christ. Number five is to, to free up God's generous rewards now and to send our treasure on ahead. Some of us miss God's greatest blessings for us because we fail to trust him enough to give. We really, this is the crux of it, we really don't believe that God can supply our needs. When I pray with people for healing, the first question I ask them is, uh, do you believe that God can heal you? You believe he's capable of that? I want to know that before I pray with that person. And, and uh, many times the reason we don't give is because we don't really believe that God can supply our needs. But this is what Jesus said. He said, you will never outgive God. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Luke 6.38. Now this is not the prosperity gospel. I don't believe in that. I, I don't believe that God says anywhere that if you give and give until it hurts, then God will make you rich. I don't think that's true. God's intention is not to make all of us rich, partly because many of us couldn't, many of us couldn't handle it. Uh, but I, I do believe uh, God's promise that when we give, when we give the first part back to him, he will meet our needs. He will meet our needs. He said, I'll supply all your, uh, all your needs out of, the riches of uh, out of the riches in Christ Jesus. And, and Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness in all these things, that is everything you need, will be, will be added to you. So how do we give? Well, um, we set aside the first part. Paul says this. Now about the collection to the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will, will have to be made. That is, give the first part, not the leftovers. Uh, secondly, give cheerfully and generously. In uh, 2 Corinthians 9, he tells us this about generous giving and what is the consequence of generous giving and what is the purpose of generous giving. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows uh, generously will also reap generously. Each of you should, also, should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, I'm going to give you what you need to give away. 
He says this, this is how God's distribution system works. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, they being us. Their righteousness endures forever. You see? Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, that is your resources, to give away and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, that is your treasure in heaven. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will, will result in thanksgiving to God. God blesses us with abundance so that we can give to meet the needs of others that he's put into our life. Well, where do we give? Uh, first of all, I think it's important and I think it's scriptural to give to your local church. Where are you being ministered to? Uh, where are you being taught? Uh, where are you being prayed for? Where are you receiving counselor? Where are you ministering as part of the body of Christ? I think uh, you see in the Acts 2 church that they gave their gifts to the local church and then through the local church to, to other people in, in need. I think that's scriptural, but I don't think it's the only place to give. I, I think that uh, we should also be giving to the poor, uh, to our missionaries and, and others who are, are carrying out uh, God's work in various parts of the world. And that's why I've included that insert, so that if you want to give directly to ministries or, uh, or some of our missionaries in other parts of the world, you can do that uh, directly. And uh, what you contribute to uh, the General Fund of uh, New Hope Church also goes to those missionaries. It also goes to those people who are in need within our church and also goes to fund the, the ministry that, that we do here. But you can do that individually as well. You see, uh, I think God has a special heart for the poor. There are over 2,000 verses in Scripture where uh, God alludes to his heart for the poor, the afflicted, the widow, the orphan, the oppressed. He says in Proverbs 19:17, whoever is generous to the Lord Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. You have a loan out to God and, and God is the one who is responsible for repaying that loan to you is what he says. And, and so uh, he will respond with generosity. You see those giving opportunities in, uh, in your bulletin insert and, and uh, there are a number of agencies in there, World Vision, Samaritan's Purse, uh, that are doing God's work around the, the globe. And uh, we have a, a couple here at, at church who are advocates and champions for Compassion International. Compassion, uh, you may know, they, they uh, focus on child sponsorship and you can rescue a child from poverty and lift, lift them out of that, provide education, nutrition, and uh, guide them towards self-sufficiency. If you're interested in, in that, if God is leading you to, to minister in that way, then uh, they'll be in back. And thirdly, I, I think... Uh, They'll be in back at the table and you can connect with them there. Thirdly, I think God directs us as individuals to individual needs. There may be times, and I know some of you do this, because sometimes you ask me to be the middleman to preserve your anonymity, uh, but sometimes uh, you will become aware of a need. That's not an accident. Sometimes you will become aware of a need in the life of a person around you and you can respond financially to meet that need. No, you don't get a tax deduction. God's not worried about that. You shouldn't be either. God will reward your generosity uh, when you do that. Maybe in your workplace, maybe out on the street, maybe uh, uh, here in, in church. Several times I've been asked to be the middleman to, to give a gift uh, from one uh, person or, or family to another who was in need at the time. I'll tell you what, it's, it's hard to tell where the most joy was, on, on which end the most joy was, but I, know, I can tell you that there, there are tears on both ends, both, both for the giver and the receiver. Here's another opportunity to be, 
to be uh, generous. Well, right, I was in Rite Aid the other day. There was a woman who was in uh, kind of shabby clothing. If you had to say, if you had to guess, you'd say she didn't have much money. And uh, another woman stepped up and was unable to get a prescription for an inhaler for her asthmatic son. The boy was standing there wheezing, trying to breathe. And, uh, and, and a woman, this woman who was uh, kind of disheveled uh, heard the mom's plight. The, mo- the mom couldn't afford the inhaler because of the copay or something. And, and the woman said, uh, wait a minute, I'll, I've got that. I'll take care of that. She stepped up, she paid the freight, and the boy got his, his inhaler. And I happened to leave at the same time. I, I, I bumped into her in the parking lot. I said, I said, thank you for doing that. That was so kind. She said, well, aren't we just here to be a blessing for each other? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? I don't know if she's a believer or not, but, uh, but it sure sounded like it. Uh, she was sent by God for that moment. Um, how much do we give? Well, everybody wants to know that. At, at New Hope, your, uh, what you give is between you and God. There, there's only one person who knows how much you give. That's the financial administrator, and then only because she needs to send you a tax receipt. Uh, otherwise, nobody knows what you give. We think that's something that should be between you and God. Some people ask about tithing. Is that an Old Testament concept? Does that still apply? I'd prefer not to get into that wrangle. I, I think, personally, it's probably an Old Testament concept. Uh, but uh, keep in mind that the Israelites uh, at the time, it wasn't a 10% tithe. It was probably a 23% or a 30% tithe. They had lots of tithes and gifts and offerings. That's why I say how much you give is up to you. That, that 10% tithe is something that's used by a lot of people at, as a target. Uh, but God may call you to give much more than that. And I know that people, people who have increased that, and over time, they're giving 90% and they're living on 10%, depending on their, on their income level and what God's blessed them with. You see, our culture acu- encourages us to accumulate debt and live beyond our means, doesn't it? Accumulate debt and live beyond your means. But what Jesus is saying here is live below your means. As followers of Jesus Christ, live below your means so you have the capacity to give to God's work and and give to someone else in need. There are some rewards for giving. God delights in rewarding us for our generosity and giving. And Randy Alcorn notes in, uh, in Managing God's Money that he says this, we must realize once and for all what Satan doesn't want us to understand. Look for Satan's strategy in this. It's a spiritual warfare. That it is emphatically biblical and appropriate for God's faithful stewards to look forward to his rewards. It is not anti-Christian. What is anti-Christian is a self-centeredness that, that is unconcerned about God and our neighbor and their preoccupation with immediate fulfillment of desires that distracts us from finding our ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Okay, we're on the home stretch here. Our, our challenge. Let me put things in, in perspective for you in our world. Richard Stearns in the book, The Hole in Our Gospel, President of World Vision, uh, has a chapter he calls uh, 100 Crashing Jetliners. And he notes in that chapter that approximately 26,500 children die each day in our world about four a second from, uh, excuse me, about one every four seconds from preventable causes like uh, starvation, malnutrition, polluted drinking water, malaria, HIV, AIDS, and other preventable causes. That's the equivalent of 100 crashing jetliners. That's the the, uh, onus for the title of the the book. 10 million children a year die from causes that are fixable. 
and now some comparisons. Where are we as a, as a nation, as a culture, compared to the rest of the world? Well, there are about 6.7 billion people in the world. I think most of them were in East Lansing yesterday because I tried to drive down the Grand River. <laughs> 6.7 billion people in the world, of, of which Americans are about 4.5%. The average income in America is about 38,006, or about $105 a day. The poorest 3.6 billion people or 55% live on less than $2 a day. In fact, if you make uh, more than $25,000 a year, you're wealthier than 90% of the people in the world. If you make more than $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world in terms of your income. The total income of American Christians is about $5.2 trillion a year, making us the wealthiest group of Christians in the history of the world. The average giving of American churchgoers in 2005 was 2.58%. The average giving of American churchgoers at the height of the Great Depression was 3.3%. Of giving received by churches, only 2% or 6 cents per churchgoer to, per day goes to overseas missions of any kind. And 98% of the giving received in American churches is spent within those churches or within those communities rather than going overseas. Well, what difference could an American church, what difference could a generous American church, I mean the whole, the whole country, I, the, the Church of Christ in the, in the U.S. of A., what difference could we make? Well, if all American churchgoers began tithing, it would generate $163 billion in extra resources over and above the funds available now. Uh, this is what we could do with that. 63 billion would eliminate the most extreme poverty for over a billion people. Six billion would implement uni universal primary education for children everywhere. Nine billion would bring clean water to most of the world's poor. 13 billion provide basic health and nutrition for everyone in the world who is starving or malnourished. Uh, to put it another way, we could eliminate extreme poverty, that is 63 billion, for one billion people for what we as Americans spent on jewelry in 2008, or a little more than we spent on state lottery tickets in 2007, which was $58 billion. I bet it's higher than that now, don't you think? From, a, from a, another uh, 2008 article entire, entitled A Lot of Lattes by Ron Sider, he says, he says, this is what we could do in terms of the Great Commission. Uh, if we were a generous church, I'm talking about the, the American church, we could field... Uh, for $43 billion, we could field 150,000 indigenous missionaries and 50,000 seminary students in developing countries. We could provide 5 million micro-loans to poor entrepreneurs to help them become self-sufficient. We could provide food, clothing, and shelter, get this, for all 6.5 million refugees in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. We could fund a global campaign to prevent and, and treat malaria, and, and we, we would have the resources... Uh, a la compassion, we would have the resources to sponsor 20 million needy children worldwide and guide them toward self-sufficiency. Sider concludes that reasonably generous financial giving of ordinary American Christians would generate staggering amounts of money that could literally change the world. My question is, is this what he has called us to? These, these problems are not insurmountable. If you saw Bill Gates and Bill and Melinda Gates, I don't know whether they're believers or not, but I admire what they're doing. They're making a tremendous difference in the world with their money. These, point, these problems are not insurmountable. They can be solved if we're willing to give generously and act in the name of Jesus Christ. 
So my question to you in closing is, what is, uh, where is your treasure? Is it here or are you paying it forward? Is it, is it here or are you sending it on ahead? I think that's what God has called us to do. I'm going to ask you to watch with me in closing a, a brief video with uh, Lisa Chan. Lisa Chan is the wife of Francis Chan. Uh, this uh, video is uh, called Think of Me, and I think it will touch your heart. 